0: Little House in the Big Woods by Laura Ingalls Wilder. Chapter One, Little House in the Big Woods. Once upon a time, 60 years ago, a little girl lived in the big woods of Wisconsin in a little gray house made of logs. The great dark trees of the big woods stood all around the house, and beyond them were other trees, and beyond them were more trees. As far as a man could go to the north in a day, or a week, or a whole month, there was nothing but woods. There were no houses, there were no roads, there were no people, there were only trees and the wild animals who had their homes among them. Wolves lived in the big woods, and bears and huge wild cats. Muskrats and mink and otter lived by the streams. Foxes had dens in the hills, and deer roamed everywhere. To the east of the little log house and to the west, there were miles upon miles of trees, and only a few little log houses scattered far apart in the edge of the big woods. So far as the little girl could see, there was only the one little house where she lived with her father and mother, her sister Mary, and her baby sister Carrie. A wagon track ran before the house, turning and twisting out of sight in the woods where the wild animals lived, but the little girl did not know where it went, nor what might be at the end of it. The little girl was named Laura, and she called her father Pa and her mother Ma. Ma. In those days and in that place, children did not say father or mother, nor mama and papa, as they do now. At night, when Laura lay awake in the trundle bed, she listened and could not hear anything at all but the sound of the trees whispering together. Sometimes, far away in the night, a wolf howled. Then he came nearer and howled again. It was a scary sound. Laura knew that wolves would eat little girls. But she was safe inside the solid log walls. Her father's gun hung over the door, and good old Jack, the brindle bulldog, lay on guard before it. Her father would say, Go to sleep, Laura. Jack won't let the wolves in. So Laura snuggled under the covers of the trundle bed, close beside Mary, and went to sleep. One night her father picked her up out of bed and carried her to the window so that she might see the wolves. There were two of them sitting in front of the house. They looked like shaggy dogs. They pointed their noses at the bright big moon and howled. Jack paced up and down before the door, growling. The hair stood up along his back, and he showed his sharp, fierce teeth to the wolves. They howled, but they could not get in. The house was a comfortable house. Upstairs, there was a large attic, pleasant to play in when the rain drummed on the roof. Downstairs was the small bedroom and the big room. The bedroom had a window that closed with a wooden shutter. The big room had two windows with glass in the panes and it had two doors, a front door and a back door. All around the house was a crooked rail fence to keep the bears and the deer away. In the yard in front of the house were two beautiful big oak trees. Every morning as soon as she was awake Laura ran to look out of the window and one morning she saw in each of the big trees a dead deer hanging from a branch. Pa had shot the deer the day before, and Laura had been asleep when he brought them home at night and hung them high in the trees so the wolves would not get the meat. That day Ma and Pa and Laura and Mary had fresh venison for dinner. It was so good that Laura wished they could eat it all, but most of the meat must be salted and smoked and packed away to be eaten in the winter. For winter was coming, The days were shorter, and frost crawled up the window panes at night. Soon the snow would come. Then the log house would be almost buried in snowdrifts, and the lake and the streams would freeze. In the bitter cold weather, Pa could not be sure of finding any wild game to shoot for meat. The bears would be hidden away in their dens, where they slept soundly all winter long. The squirrels would be curled up in their nests in hollow trees, with their furry tails wrapped snugly around their noses. The deer and the rabbits would be shy and swift. Even if Pa could get a deer, it would be poor and thin, not fat and plump as deer are in the fall. Pa might hunt alone all day in the bitter cold, in the big woods covered with snow, and come home at night with nothing for Ma and Laura and Mary to eat. So as much food as possible must be stored away in the little house before winter came. Pa skinned the deer carefully and salted and stretched the hides, for he would make soft leather of them. Then he would cut up meat and sprinkled salt over the pieces as he laid them on a board. Standing on end in the yard was a tall length cut from the trunk of a big hollow tree. Pa had driven nails inside as far as he could reach from each end. Then he stood it up, put a little roof over the top, and cut a little door on one side near the bottom. On the piece that he cut out, he fastened leather hinges. Then he fitted it into place, and that was the little door with the bark still on it. After the deer meat had been salted several days, Pa cut a hole near the end of each piece and put a string through it. Laura watched him do this, and then she watched him hang the meat in the nails in the hollow log. He reached up through the little door and hung me on the nails as far as he could reach. Then he put a ladder against the log, climbed up to the top, moved the roof to one side, and reached down inside to hang meat on those nails. Then Pa put the roof back on, climbed down the ladder, and said to Laura, run over to the chopping block and fetch me some of those green hickory chips, new, clean, white ones. So Laura ran to the block where Pa chopped wood and filled her apron with the fresh, sweet-smelling chips. Just inside the little door, in the hollow log, Pa built a fire of tiny bits of bark and moss, and he laid some of the chips on it very carefully. Instead of burning quickly, the green chips smoldered and filled the hollow log with thick choking smoke. Pa shut the door, and a little smoke squeezed through the crack around it, and a little smoke came out through the roof, but most of it was shut in with the meat. There's nothing better than good hickory smoke, Pa said. That will make good venison that will keep anywhere in any weather. Then he took his gun And slinging his axe on his shoulder, he went away to the clearing to cut down some more trees. Laura and Ma watched the fire for several days. When smoke stopped coming through the cracks, Laura would bring more hickory chips and Ma would put them on the fire under the meat. All the time there was a little smell of smoke in the yard and when the door was opened, a thick, smoky, meaty smell came out. At last, Pa said the venison had smoked long enough. Then he let the fire go out, and Pa took all the strips and pieces of meat out of the hollow tree. Ma wrapped each piece neatly in paper and hung them in the attic where they would be safe and dry. One morning, Pa went away before daylight with the horses and wagon, and that night he came home with a wagon load of fish. The big wagon box was piled full, and some of the fish were as big as Laura. Pa had gone to Lake Pepin and caught them all with a net. Ma cut large slices of flaky white fish, without one bone for Laura and Mary. They all feasted on the good, fresh fish. All they did not eat fresh was salted down in barrels for the winter. Pa owned a pig. It ran wild in the big woods, living on acorns and nuts and roots. Now he caught it and put it in a pen made of logs to fatten. He would butcher it as soon as the weather was cold enough to keep the pork frozen. Once in the middle of the night, Laura woke up and heard the pig squealing. Pa jumped out of bed, snatched his gun from the wall, and ran outdoors. Then Laura heard the gun go off. Once, twice. When Pa came back, he told what had happened— He had seen a big black bear standing beside the pig pen. The bear was reaching into the pen to grab the pig, and the pig was running and squealing. Pa saw this in the starlight, and he fired quickly. But the light was dim, and in his haste, he missed the bear. The bear ran away into the woods, not hurt at all. Laura was sorry Pa did not get the bear. She liked bear meat so much. Pa was sorry, too, but he said, "'Anyway,' I saved the bacon. The garden behind the little house had been growing all summer. It was so near the house that the deer did not jump the fence and eat the vegetables in the daytime, and at night Jack kept them away. Sometimes in the morning there were little hoof prints among the carrots and the cabbages, but Jack's tracks were there too, and the deer had jumped right out again. Now the potatoes and the carrots, the beets and the turnips, and cabbages were gathered and stored in the cellar, for freezing nights had come. Onions were made into long ropes, braided together by their tops, and were hung in the attic beside wreaths of red peppers strung on threads. The pumpkins and the squashes were piled in orange and yellow and green heaps in the attic's corners. The barrels of salted fish were in the pantry, and yellow cheeses were stacked on the pantry shelves. Then one day, Uncle Henry came riding out of the big woods. He had come to help Pa butcher. Ma's big butcher knife was already sharpened, and Uncle Henry had brought Aunt Polly's butcher knife. Near the pig pen, Pa and Uncle Henry built a bonfire, and heated a great kettle of water over it. When the water was boiling, they went to kill the hog. Then Laura ran and hit her head on the bed and stopped her ears with her fingers, "'so she could not hear the hog squeal. "'It doesn't hurt him,' Laura, Pa said. "'We do it so quickly,' but she did not want to hear him squeal. "'In a minute, she took one finger cautiously out of an ear and listened. "'The hog had stopped squealing. "'After that, butchering time was great fun. "'It was a busy day and so much to see and do. "'Uncle Henry and Pa were jolly, and there would be spare ribs for dinner and Pa had promised Laura and Mary the bladder and the pig's tail. As soon as the hog was dead, Pa and Uncle Henry lifted it up and down into the boiling water till it was well scalded. Then they laid it on a board and scraped it with their knives, and all the bristles came off. After that, they hung the hog in a tree, took out the insides, and left it hanging to cool. When it was cool, they took it down and cut it up. There were hams and shoulders, side meat and spare ribs and belly. There was the heart and the liver and the tongue and the head to be made into head cheese and the dishpan full of bits to be made into sausage. The meat was laid on a board in the back door shed and every piece was sprinkled with salt. The hams and the shoulders were put to pickle in brine for they would be smoked like the venison in the hollow log. "'You can't beat hickory-cured ham,' Pa said. He was blowing up the bladder. It made a little white balloon, and he tied the end tight with a string and gave it to Mary and Laura to play with. They could toss it into the air and spat it back and forth with their hands, or it would bounce along the ground and they would kick it. But even better fun than a balloon was the pig's tail. Pa skinned it for them carefully, and into the large end, he thrust a sharpened stick. Ma opened the front of the cook stove and raked hot coals out into the iron hearth. Then Laura and Mary took turns holding the pig's tail over the coals. It sizzled and fried, and drops of fat dripped off it and blazed on the coals. Ma sprinkled it with salt. Their hands and their faces got very hot, and Laura burned her fingers, but she was so excited she did not care. Roasting the pig's tail was such fun that it was hard to play fair, taking turns. At last it was done. It was nicely browned all over, and how good it smelled. They carried it into the yard to cool it, and even before it was cool enough, they began tasting it and burned their tongues. They ate every little bit of meat off the bones, and they gave the bones to Jack. And that was the end of the pig's tail. There would not be another one till next year. Uncle Henry went home after dinner, and Pa went away to his work in the big woods. But for Laura and Mary and Ma, butchering time had only begun. There was a great deal for Ma to do, and Laura and Mary helped her. All that day and the next, Ma was trying out the lard in big iron pots on the cook stove. Laura and Mary carried wood and watched the fire. It must be hot, but not too hot, or the lard would burn. The big pots simmered and boiled, but they must not smoke. From time to time, Ma skinned out the brown cracklings. She put them in a cloth and squeezed out every bit of lard, and then she put the cracklings away. She would use them to flavor Johnny Cake later. Cracklings were very good to eat, but Laura and Mary could only have a taste. They were too rich for little girls, Ma said. Ma scraped and cleaned the head carefully, and then she boiled it till all the meat fell off the bones. She chopped the meat fine with her chopping knife in the wooden bowl. She seasoned it with pepper and salt and spices. Then she mixed the pot liquor with it and set it away in a pan to cool. When it was cool, it would cut in slices, and that was head cheese. The little pieces of meat, lean and fat, that had been cut off the large pieces, Ma chopped and chopped until it was all chopped fine. She seasoned it with salt and pepper and with dried sage leaves from the garden. Then with her hands, she tossed and turned it until it was well mixed and she molded it into balls. She put the balls in a pan out in the shed where they would freeze and be good to eat all winter. That was the sausage. When butchering time was over, there were the sausages and the head cheese, the big jars of lard, the kegs of white salt pork out in the shed, and in the attic hung the smoked hams and shoulders. The little house was fairly bursting with good food stored away for the long winter. The pantry and the shed and the cellar were full, and so was the attic. Laura and Mary must play in the house now, for it was cold outdoors, and the brown leaves were all falling from the trees. The fire in the cook stove never went out. At night, Pa banked it with ashes to keep the coals alive till morning. The attic was a lovely place to play. The large, round-colored pumpkins made beautiful chairs and tables. The red peppers and the onions dangled overhead. The hams and the venison up in their paper wrappings. And all the bunches of dried herbs, the spicy herbs for cooking and the bitter herbs for medicine, gave the place a dusty, spicy smell. Often the wind howled outside with a cold and lonesome sound. But in the attic, Laura and Mary played house with the squashes and the pumpkins, and everything was snug and cozy. Mary was bigger than Laura, and she had a rag doll named Nettie. Laura had only a corn cob wrapped in a handkerchief, but it was a good doll. It was named Susan. It wasn't Susan's fault that she was only a corn cob. Sometimes Mary let Laura hold Nettie but she only did it when Susan wouldn't see. The best times of all were at night. After supper, Pa brought his traps in from the shed to grease them by the fire. He rubbed them bright and greased the hinges of the jaws and the springs of the pans with a feather dipped in bear's grease. There were small traps and middle-sized traps and great bear traps with teeth in the jaws that Pa said would break a man's leg if they shut onto it. While he greased the traps, Pa told Laura and Mary little jokes and stories, and afterward, he would play his fiddle. The doors and windows were tightly shut, and the cracks of the window frame stuffed with cloth to keep out the cold. But Black Susan, the cat, came and went as she pleased, day and night, through the swinging door of the cat hole in the bottom of the front door. She always went very quickly, so the door would not catch her tail when it fell shut behind her. One night, when Pa was greasing the traps, he watched Black Susan come in, and he said, There was once a man who had two cats, a big cat and a little cat. Laura and Mary ran to lean on his knees and hear the rest. He had two cats, Pa repeated, a big cat and a little cat. So he made a big cat hole in his door for the big cat, and then he made a little cat hole for the little cat. Then Pa stopped. But why couldn't the little cat... Mary began. Because the big cat wouldn't let it, Laura interrupted. Laura, that is very rude. You must never interrupt, said Pa. But I see, he said, that either one of you has more sense than the man who had cut the two cat holes in his door. Then he laid away the traps, and he took his fiddle out of his box and began to play. That was the best time of all. Winter Days and Winter Nights The first snow came and the bitter cold. Every morning, Pa took his gun and his traps and was gone all day in the big woods, setting the small traps for muskrats and mink along the creeks, the middle-sized traps for foxes and wolves in the woods. He set out the big bear traps, hoping to get a fat bear before they all went into their dens for the winter. One morning, he came back, took the horses and sled, and hurried away again. He had shot a bear. Laura and Mary jumped up and down and clapped their hands. They were so glad. Mary shouted, I want the drumstick. I want the drumstick. Mary did not know how big a bear's drumstick is. When Pa came back, he had both a bear and a pig in the wagon. He had been going through the woods with a big bear trap in his hands and the gun on his shoulder when he walked around a big pine tree covered with snow and the bear was behind the tree. The bear had just killed the pig and was picking it up to eat it. Pa said the bear was standing up on its hind legs, holding the pig in its paws, just as though they were hands. Pa shot the bear, and there was no way of knowing where the pig came from, nor whose pig it was. So, I just brought home the bacon, Pa said. There was plenty of fresh meat to last for a long time. The days and the nights were so cold that the pork in a box and the bear meat hanging in the little shed outside the back door were solidly frozen and did not thaw. When Ma wanted fresh meat for dinner, Pa took the axe and cut off a chunk of frozen bear meat or pork, but the sausage balls or the salt pork or the smoked hams and the venison Ma could get for herself from the shed or the attic. The snow kept coming till it was drifted and banked against the house In the mornings, the window panes were covered with frost in beautiful pictures of trees and flowers and fairies. Ma said that Jack Frost came in the night and made the pictures while everyone was asleep. Laura thought that Jack Frost was a little man, all snowy white, wearing a glittering white pointed cap and soft white knee boots made of deer skin. His coat was white and his mittens were white and he did not carry a gun on his back but in his hands he had shining, sharp tools with which he carved the pictures. Laura and Mary were allowed to take Ma's thimble and make pretty patterns of circles in the frost on the glass, but they never spoiled the pictures that Jack Frost had made in the night. When they put their mouth close to the pane and blew their breath on it, the white frost melted and ran in drops down the glass. Then they could see the drifts of snow outdoors and the great trees standing bare and black, making thin blue shadows on the white snow. Laura and Mary helped Ma with the work. Every morning there were the dishes to wipe. Mary wiped more of them than Laura because she was bigger, but Laura always wiped carefully her own little cup and plate. By the time the dishes were all wiped and set away, the trundle bed was aired. Then... Standing one on each side, Laura and Mary straightened the covers, tucked them in well at the foot and the sides, plumped up the pillows, and put them in place. Then Ma pushed the trundle bed into its place under the big bed. After this was done, Ma began the work that belonged to that day. Each day had its own proper work. Ma used to say, wash on Mondays, iron on Tuesdays, mend on Wednesdays, churn on Thursdays clean on friday bake on saturday rest on sunday laura liked the churning and the baking days best of all the week in winter the cream was not yellow as it was in summer and butter churned from it was white and not so pretty ma liked everything on the table to be pretty so in the winter time she colored the butter after she put the cream in the tall crockery churn and set it near the stove to warm, she washed and scraped a long orange-colored carrot. Then she grated it on the bottom of the old leaky tin pan that Pa had punched full of nail hose for her. Ma rubbed the carrot across the roughness until she had rubbed it all through the holes, and when she lifted up the pan, there was a soft, juicy mound of grated carrot. She put this in a little pan of milk on the stove, and when the milk was hot, she poured milk and carrot into a cloth bag. Then she squeezed the bright yellow milk into the churn where it colored all the cream. Now the butter would be yellow. Laura and Mary were allowed to eat the carrot after the milk had been squeezed out. Mary thought she ought to have the bigger share because she was older, and Laura said she should have it because she was littler. But Ma said they should divide it evenly. It was very good. When the cream was ready, Ma scalded the long wooden churn dash, put it in the churn, and dropped the wooden churn cover over it. The churn cover had a little round hole in the middle, and Ma moved the dash up and down, up and down through the hole. She churned for a long time. Mary could sometimes churn while Ma rested, but the dash was too heavy for Laura. At first, the splashes of cream showed thick and smooth around the little hole. After a long time, they began to look grainy. Then Ma churned more slowly, and on the dash, there began to appear tiny grains of yellow butter. When Ma took off the churn cover, there was the butter in a golden lump, drowning in the buttermilk. Then Ma took out the lump with a wooden paddle into a wooden bowl, and she washed it several times in cold water, turning it over and over, and working it with the paddle until the water ran clear. After that, she salted it. Now came the best part of the churning. Ma molded the butter. On the loose bottom of the wooden butter mold was carved the picture of a strawberry with two strawberry leaves. With the paddle, Ma packed butter tightly into the mold until it was full. Then she turned it upside down over a plate and pushed on the handle of the loose bottom. The little firm pat of golden butter came out with the strawberry and its leaves molded on the top. Laura and Mary watched, breathless, one on each side of Ma, while the golden little butter pats, each with its strawberry on the top, dropped onto the plate as Ma put all the butter through the mold. Then Ma gave them each a drink of good fresh buttermilk. On Saturdays, when Ma made the bread, they each had a little piece of dough to make into a little loaf. They might have a bit of cookie dough, too, to make little cookies, and once Laura even made a pie in her own patty pan. After the day's work was done, Ma sometimes cut paper dolls for them. She cut the dolls out of stiff white paper and drew the faces with a pencil. Then, from bits of colored paper, she cut dresses and hats, ribbons and laces, so that Laura and Mary could dress the dolls beautifully. But the best time of all was at night, when Pa came home. He would come in from his tramping through the snowy woods with tiny icicles hanging on the ends of his mustaches. He would hang his gun on the wall over the door, throw off his fur cap and coat and mittens and call, where's my little half pint of sweet cider half drunk up? That was Laura because she was so small. Laura and Mary would run to climb on his knees and sit there while he warmed himself by the fire. Then he was put on his coat and cap and mittens again and go out to do the chores and bring in plenty of wood for the fire. Sometimes, When Pa had walked his trap lines quickly because the traps were empty or when he had got some good game sooner than usual, he would come home early. Then he would have time to play with Laura and Mary. One game they loved was called Mad Dog. Pa would run his fingers through his thick brown hair, standing it all up on end. Then he dropped on all fours and growling, he chased Mary and Laura all around the room trying to get them cornered where they couldn't get away. They were quick at dodging and running, but once he caught them against the wood box behind the stove. They couldn't get past Pa, and there was no other way out. Then Pa growled so terribly. His hair was so wild and his eyes so fierce that it all seemed real. Mary was so frightened she could not move, but as Pa came nearer, Laura screamed, and with a wild leap and a scramble, she went, over the wood box, dragging Mary with her. And all at once, there was no Mad Dog at all. There was only Pa, standing there with his blue eyes shining, looking at Laura. Well, he said to her, you're only a little half-pint of cider, half-drunk up, but by jinx, you're as strong as a little French horse. You shouldn't frighten the children so, Charles, Ma said. Look how big their eyes are. Pa looked, And then he took down his fiddle. He began to play and sing. Yankee Doodle went to town. He wore striped trousers. He swore he couldn't see the town. There were so many houses. Laura and Mary forgot all about the mad dog. And there he saw some great big guns, big as a log of maple. And every time they turned them around, it took two yoke of cattle. And every time they fired him off, it took a horn of powder, And made a noise like father's gun, Only a nation louder. Pa was keeping time with his foot, And Laura clapped her hands to the music when he sang, And I'll sing yankee doodle dee doo, And I'll sing yankee doodle, And I'll sing yankee doodle dee doo, And I'll sing yankee doodle. All alone in the wild big woods and the snow and the cold, the little log house was warm and snug and cozy. Pa and Ma and Mary and Laura and baby Carrie were comfortable and happy there, especially at night. Then the fire was shining on the hearth, the cold and the dark and the wild beasts were all shut out, and Jack the Brindle Bulldog and Black Susan the Cat lay blinking at the flames in the fireplace ma sat in her rocking chair sewing by the light of the lamp on the table the lamp was bright and shiny there was salt in the bottom of its glass bowl with the kerosene to keep the kerosene from exploding and there were bits of red flannel among the salt to make it pretty it was pretty Laura loved to look at the lamp with its glass chimney so clean and sparkling, its yellow flame burning so steadily, and its bowl of clear kerosene colored red by the bits of flannel. She loved to look at the fire in the fireplace, flickering and changing all the time, burning yellow and red and sometimes green above the logs and hovering blue over the golden and ruby coals. And then Pa told stories. When Laura and Mary begged him for a story, he would take them on his knees, tickle their faces with his long whiskers until they laughed aloud. His eyes were blue and merry. One night, Pa looked at Black Susan, stretching herself before the fire and running her claws in and out, and he said, Do you know that a panther is a cat? A great big wild cat? No, said Laura. Well, it is, said Pa just imagine Black Susan, bigger than Jack, and fiercer than Jack when he growls. Then she would be just like a panther. He set Laura and Mary more comfortably on his knees, and he said, I'll tell you about Grandpa and the panther. Your grandpa? Laura asked. No, Laura, your grandpa, my father. Oh, Laura said, and she wiggled closer against Pa's arm. She knew her grandpa. He lived far away in the big woods in a big log house. Pa began the story of Grandpa and the Panther. Your grandpa went to town one day and was late starting home. It was dark when he came riding his horse through the big woods, so dark that he could hardly see the road. And when he heard a panther scream, he was frightened for he had no gun. How does a panther scream? Laura asked. Like a woman, Pa said. Like this. Then he screamed so that Laura and Mary shivered with terror. Ma jumped in her chair and said, Mercy, Charles. But Laura and Mary loved to be scared like that. The horse with Grandpa on him ran fast, for it was frightened too. But it could not get away from the panther. The panther followed through the dark woods. The panther was hungry, and it came as fast as a horse could run. It screamed now on the side of the road, now on the other side, and it was always close behind. Grandpa leaned forward in the saddle and urged the horse to run faster. The horse was running as fast as it could possibly run, and still the panther screamed close behind. Then Grandpa caught a glimpse of it as it leaped from treetop to treetop almost overhead. It was a huge black panther leaping through the air like Black Susan leaping on a mouse. It was many, many times bigger than Black Susan. It was so big that if it leaped on Grandpa, it could kill him with its enormous slashing claws and its long, sharp teeth. Grandpa, on his horse, was running away from it just as a mouse runs away from a cat. The panther did not scream any more. Grandpa did not see it anymore, but he knew that it was coming, leaping after him in the dark woods behind him. The horse ran with all its might. At last, the horse ran up to Grandpa's house. Grandpa saw the panther springing. Grandpa jumped off the horse against the door. He burst through the door and slammed it behind him. The panther landed on the horse's back, just where Grandpa had been. The horse screamed terribly and ran. It was running away into the big woods with the panther riding on his back and ripping his back with its claws. But Grandpa grabbed his gun from the wall and got to the window just in time to shoot the panther dead. Grandpa said he would never again go into the big woods without his gun. When Pa told this story, Laura and Mary shivered and snuggled closer to him. They were safe and snug on his knees, with his strong arms around them. They liked to be there before the warm fire, with Black Susan purring on the hearth and Good Dog Jack stretched out beside her. When they heard a wolf howl, Jack's head lifted, and the hairs rose stiff along his back. But Laura and Mary listened to that lonely sound in the dark and the cold of the big woods, and they were not afraid. They were cozy and comfortable in their little house made of logs, with the snow drifted around it and the wind crying because it could not get in by the fire. The long rifle. Every evening before he began to tell stories, Pa made the bullets for his next day's hunting. Laura and Mary helped him. They brought the big long-handled spoon and the box full of bits of lead and the bullet mold. Then, while he squatted on the hearth and made the bullets, they sat one on each side of him and watched. First, he melted the bits of lead and the big spoon held in the coals. When the lead was melted, he poured it carefully from the spoon into the little hole in the bullet mold. He waited a minute. Then he opened the mold and out dropped a bright new bullet onto the hearth. The bullet was too hot to touch but it shone so temptingly that sometimes Laura or Mary could not help touching it. Then they burned their fingers, but they did not say anything because Pa had told them never to touch a new bullet. If they burned their fingers, that was their own fault. They should have minded him. So they put their fingers in their mouth to cool them and watch Pa make more bullets. There would be a shining pile of them on the hearth before Pa stopped. He let them cool, then with his jackknife he trimmed off the little lumps left by the hole in the mold. He gathered up the tiny shavings of lead and saved them carefully to melt again the next time he made bullets. The finished bullets he put into his bullet pouch. This was a little bag which Ma had made beautifully out of buckskin from a buck Pa had shot. After the bullets were made, Pa would take his gun down from the wall and clean it. Out in the snowy woods all day, it might have gathered a little dampness, and the inside of the barrel was sure to be dirty from powder smoke. So Pa would take the ramrod from its place under the gun barrel and fasten a piece of clean cloth on its end. He stood the butt of the gun in a pan on the hearth and poured boiling water from the tea kettle into the gun barrel. Then quickly he dropped the ramrod in and rubbed it up and down, up and down, while the hot water blackened with powder smoke spurted out through the little hole on which the cap was placed when the gun was loaded. Pa kept pouring in more water and washing the gun barrel with the cloth on the ramrod until the water ran out clear. Then the gun was clean. The water must always be boiling so that the heated steel would dry instantly. Then Pa put a clean greased rag on the ramrod, and while the gun barrel was still hot, he greased it well on the inside. With another clean greased cloth, he rubbed it all over outside until every bit of it was oiled and sleek. After that, he rubbed and polished the gun stock until the wood of it was bright and shining too. Now he was ready to load the gun again, and Laura and Mary must help him. Standing straight and tall, holding the long gun upright on its butt, while Laura and Mary stood on either side of him, Pa said, you watch me now and tell me if I make a mistake. So they watched very carefully, but he never made a mistake. Laura handed him the smooth, polished cow horn full of gunpowder. The top of the horn was a little metal cap. Pa filled this cap full of the gunpowder and poured the gunpowder down the barrel of the gun. Then he shook the gun a little and tapped the barrel to be sure that all the powder was together in the bottom. "'Where's my patch box?' he asked them. And Mary gave him the little tin box full of little pieces of greased cloth. Pa laid one of these pieces of greasy cloth over the muzzle of the gun, put one of the shiny new bullets on it, and with the ramrod, he pushed the bullet and the cloth down the gun barrel. Then he pounded them tightly against the powder. When he hit them with the ramrod, the ramrod bounced up in the gun barrel, and Pa caught it and thrust it down again. He did this for a long time. Next, he put the ramrod back in its place against the gun barrel. Then, taking a box of caps from his pocket, he raised the hammer of the gun and slipped one of the little bright caps over the hollow pin that was under the hammer. He let the hammer down slowly and carefully. If it came down quickly, bang, the gun would go off. Now the gun was loaded and Pa laid it on its hooks over the door. When Pa was at home, the gun always lay across those two wooden hooks above the door. Pa had whittled the hooks out of a green stick with his knife and had driven their straight ends deep into the holes in the log. The hooked ends curved upward and held the gun securely. The gun was always loaded and always above the door so that Pa could get it quickly and easily any time he needed a gun. When Pa went into the big woods, he always made sure that the bullet pouch was full of bullets and the tiny patch box and the box of caps were with it in his pockets. The powder horn and a small, sharp hatchet hung at his belt and he carried the gun ready, loaded on his shoulder. He always reloaded the gun as soon as he had fired it, for he said he did not want to meet trouble with an empty gun. Whenever he shot at a wild animal, he had to stop and load the gun, measure the powder, put it in, and shake it down. Put in the patch and the bullet and pound them down and then put a fresh cap under the hammer before he could shoot again. When he shot at a bear or a panther, he must kill it with the first shot. A wounded bear or panther could kill a man before he had time to load his gun again. But Laura and Mary were never afraid when Pa went alone into the big woods. They knew he could always kill bears and panthers with this first shot. After the bullets were made and the gun was loaded, came story time. Tell us about the voice in the woods, Laura would beg him. Pa crinkled up his eyes at her. Oh, no, he said. You don't want to hear about the time I was a naughty little boy. Oh, yes, we do. We do, Laura and Mary said. So Pa began. The story of Pa and the voice in the woods. When I was a little boy, not much bigger than Mary, I had to go every afternoon to find the cows in the woods and drive them home. My father told me never to play by the way, but to hurry and bring the cows home before dark because there were bears and wolves and panthers in the woods. One day I started earlier than usual, so I thought I did not need to hurry. There were so many things to see in the woods that I forgot that dark was coming. There were red squirrels in the trees, chipmunks scurrying through the leaves, and little rabbits playing games together in the open places. Little rabbits, you know, always have games together before they go to bed. I began to play. I was a mighty hunter stalking the wild animals and the Indians. I played. I was fighting with the Indians until the woods seemed full of wild men, and then all at once I heard the birds twittering, good night. It was dusky in the pass and dark in the woods. I knew that I must get the cows home quickly, or it would be black night before they were safe in the barn, and I couldn't find the cows. I listened, but I could not hear their bells. I called, but the cows didn't come. I was afraid of the dark and the wild beast, but I dared not go home to my father without the cows. "'So I ran through the woods, hunting and calling. "'All the time the shadows were getting thicker and darker, "'and the woods seemed larger, "'and the trees and the bushes looked strange. "'I could not find the cows anywhere. "'I climbed up hills, looking for them and calling, "'and I went down into dark ravines, calling and looking. "'I stopped and listened for the cowbells, "'and there was not a sound but the rustling of leaves. "'Then I heard loud breathing and thought a panther was there.' in the dark behind me, but it was only my own breathing. My bare legs were scratched by the briars, and when I ran through the bushes, their branches struck me, but I kept on looking and calling, Suki, 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 I shouted with all my might, Suki. Right over my head, something asked, Hoo! My hair stood straight on end. "Who, Hoo! the voice said again, and then how I did run! i forgot all about the cows all i wanted was to get out of the dark woods to get home that thing in the dark came after me and called again i ran with all my might i ran till i couldn't breathe and still i kept on running something grabbed my foot and down i went up i jumped and then i ran not even a wolf could have caught me at last i came out of the dark woods by the barn there stood all the cows waiting to be let through the bars I let them in and then ran to the house. My father looked up and said, Young man, what makes you so late? Been playing, by the way? I looked down at my feet, and then I saw that one big toenail had been torn clean off. I had been so scared that I had not felt it hurt until that minute. Pa always stopped telling the story here and waited until Laura said, Go on, Pa. Please go on. Well, Pa said, then your grandpa went out into the yard and cut a stout switch, and he came back into the house and gave me a good thrashing so that I would remember to mind him after that. A big boy nine years old is old enough to remember to mind, he said. There's a good reason for what I tell you to do, he said, and if you'll do as you're told, no harm will come to you. Yes, yes, Pa, Laura would say, bouncing up and down on Pa's knees. And then what did he say? He said, if you'd obeyed me, as you should, you wouldn't have been out in the big woods after dark, and you wouldn't have been scared by a screech owl. Christmas. Christmas was coming. The little log house was almost buried in snow. Great drifts were banked against the walls and windows. And in the morning, when Pa opened the door There was a wall of snow as high as Laura's head. Pa took the shovel and shoveled it away, and then he shoveled a path to the barn where the horses and the cows were snug and warm in their stalls. The days were clear and bright. Laura and Mary stood on chairs by the window and looked out across the glittering snow at the glittering trees. Snow was piled all along the bare, dark branches, and it sparkled in the sunshine. Icicles hung from the eaves of the house to the snow banks, great icicles as large at the top as Laura's arm. They were like glass and full of sharp lights. Pa's breath hung in the air like smoke when he came along the path from the barn. He breathed it out in clouds, and it froze in white frost on his mustache and beard. When he came in, stamping the snow from his boots, and caught Laura up in a bear's hug against his cold, big coat. His mustache was beaded with little drops of melting frost. Every night he was busy, working on a large piece of board and two small pieces. He whittled them with his knife, he rubbed them with sandpaper, and with the palm of his hand, until when Laura touched one, they felt soft and smooth as silk. Then with a sharp jackknife, he worked at them, cutting the edges of the large one into little peaks and towers with a large star carved on the very tallest point. He cut little holes through the wood. He cut the holes in shapes of windows and little stars and crescent moons and circles. All around them he carved tiny leaves and flowers and birds. One of the little boards he shaped in a lovely curve, and around its edges he carved leaves and flowers and stars, and through it he cut crescent moons and cues. Around the edges of the smallest board he carved a tiny flowering vine. He made the tiniest shavings, cutting very slowly and carefully, making whatever he thought would be pretty. At last he had the pieces finished, and one night he fitted them together. When this was done... The large piece was a beautifully carved back for a smooth little shelf and crossed its middle. The large star was at the very top of it. The carved piece supported the shelf underneath, and it was carved beautifully, too, and the little vine ran along the edge of the shelf. Pa had made this bracket for a Christmas present for Ma. Ma. He hung it carefully against the log wall between the windows, and Ma stood her little china woman on the shelf. The little china woman had a china bonnet on her head, and china curls hung against her china neck. Her china dress was laced across its front, and she wore a pale pink china apron and little gilt china shoes. She was beautiful, standing on the shelf with flowers and leaves and birds and moons carved all around her and the large star at the very top. Ma was busy all day long cooking good things for Christmas. She baked salt-rising bread and rye bread and Swedish crackers and a huge pan of baked beans with salt pork and molasses. She baked vinegar pies and dried apple pies and filled a big jar with cookies and she let Laura and Mary lick the cake spoon. One morning, she boiled molasses and sugar together until they made a thick syrup, and Pa brought in two pans of clean white snow from outdoors. Laura and Mary each had a pan, and Pa and Ma showed them how to pour the dark syrup in little streams onto the snow. They made circles and curlicues and squiggly things, and these hardened at once and were candy. Laura and Mary might each eat one piece, but the rest was saved for Christmas Day. All this was done because Aunt Eliza and Uncle Peter and the cousins, Peter and Alex and Ella, were coming to spend Christmas. The day before Christmas they came. Laura and Mary heard the gay ringing of sleigh bells growing louder every moment, and then the big bobsled came out of the woods and drove up to the gate. Aunt Eliza and Uncle Peter and the cousins were in it, all covered up under blankets and robes and buffalo skins. They were wrapped up in so many coats and mufflers and veils and shawls that they looked like big, shapeless bundles. When they all came in, the little house was full and running over. Black Susan ran out and hid in the barn, but Jack leaped in circles through the snow, barking as though he would never stop now there were cousins to play with. As soon as Aunt Eliza had unwrapped them, Peter and Alice and Ella and Laura and Mary began to run and shout. At last, Aunt Eliza told them to be quiet. Then Alice said, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's make pictures. Alice said they must go outdoors to do it, and Ma thought it was too cold for Laura to play outdoors. But when she saw how disappointed Laura was, She said she might go, after all, for a little while. She put on Laura's coat and mittens and the warm cape with the hood and wrapped a muffler around her neck and let her go. Laura had never had so much fun. All morning she played outdoors in the snow with Alice and Ella and Peter and Mary making pictures. The way they did it was like this. Each one by herself climbed up on a stump and then all at once Holding their arms out wide, they fell off the stumps into the soft, deep snow. They fell flat on their faces. Then they tried to get up without spoiling the marks they made when they fell. If they did it well, there in the snow were five holes, shaped almost exactly like four little girls and a boy, arms and legs and all. They called these pictures. They played so hard all day that when night came, they were too excited to sleep, but they must sleep or Santa Claus would not come. So they hung their stockings by the fireplace and said their prayers and went to bed. Alice and Ella and Mary and Laura all in one big bed on the floor. Peter had the trundle bed. Aunt Eliza and Uncle Peter were going to sleep in the big bed and another bed was made on the attic floor for Ma and Pa. "'The buffalo robes and all the blankets "'had been brought in from Uncle Peter's sled, "'so there were enough covers for everybody. "'Pa and Ma and Aunt Eliza and Uncle Peter "'sat by the fire talking, "'and just as Laura was drifting off to sleep, "'she heard Uncle Peter say, "'Eliza had a narrow squeak the other day "'when I was away at Lake City. "'You know, Prince, that big dog of mine?' "'Laura was wide awake at once.' She always liked to hear about dogs. She lay still as a mouse and looked at the firelight flickering on the log walls and listened to Uncle Peter. Well, Uncle Peter said, early in the morning, Eliza started to the spring to get a pail of water, and Prince followed her. She got to the edge of the ravine, where the path goes down to the spring, and all of a sudden, Prince set his teeth in the back of her skirt and pulled "'You know what a big dog he is.' Eliza scolded him, but he wouldn't let go, and he's so big and strong she couldn't get away from him. He kept pulling and backing till he tore a piece out of her skirt. "'It was my blueprint,' Aunt Eliza said to Ma. "'Dear me,' Ma said. "'He tore a big piece right out of the back of it,' Aunt Eliza said. "'I was so mad I could have whipped him for it, but he growled at me.' "'Prince growled at you,' Pa said. "'Yes,' said Aunt Eliza. "'So then she started on again toward the spring,' Uncle Peter went on. "'But Prince jumped into the path ahead of her and snarled at her. "'He paid no attention to her talking and scolding. "'He just kept on showing his teeth and snarling. "'And when she tried to get past him, he kept in front of her and snapped at her. "'That scared her.' "'I should think it would,' Ma said.' He was so savage, I thought he was going to bite me, said Aunt Eliza. I believe he would have. I never heard of such a thing, said Ma. What on earth did you do? I turned right around and ran into the house where the children were and slammed the door, Aunt Eliza answered. Of course, Prince was savage with strangers, said Uncle Peter, but he was always so kind to Eliza and the children, I felt perfectly safe to leave them with him. Eliza couldn't understand it at all. After she got into the house, he kept pacing around it and growling. Every time she started to open the door, he jumped at her and snarled. "'Had he gone mad?' said Ma. "'That's what I thought,' Aunt Eliza said. "'I didn't know what to do. "'There I was, shut up in the house with the children and not daring to go out. "'And we didn't have any water. "'I couldn't even get any snow to melt. "'Every time I opened the door, so much as a crack. "'Prince acted like he would tear me to pieces.' How long did this go on? Pa asked. All day till late in the afternoon, Aunt Eliza said. Peter had taken the gun or I would have shot him. A long late in the afternoon, Uncle Peter said. He got very quiet and lay down in front of the door. Eliza thought he was asleep and she made up her mind to try to slip past him and get to the spring for some water. So she opened the door very quietly. But, of course, he woke up right away. When he saw she had the water pail in her hand, he got up and walked ahead of her to the spring, just the same as usual. And there, all around the spring in the snow, were fresh tracks of a panther. The tracks were as big as my hand, said Aunt Eliza. Yes, Uncle Peter said, he was a big fellow. His tracks were the biggest I ever saw. He would have got Eliza for sure if Prince had let her go to the spring in the morning. I saw the tracks. He had been lying up in that big oak over the spring, waiting for some animal to come there for water. Undoubtedly, he would have dropped down on her. Night was coming on when she saw the tracks, and she didn't waste any time getting back to the house with her pail of water. Prince followed close behind her, "'looking back into the ravine now and then. "'I took him into the house with me,' Aunt Eliza said, "'and we all stayed inside till Peter came home. "'Did you get him?' Pa asked Uncle Peter. "'No,' Uncle Peter said. "'I took my gun and hunted all around the place, "'but I couldn't find him. "'I saw some more of his tracks. "'He'd gone north, farther into the big woods. "'Alice and Ella and Mary were all wide awake now,' And Laura put her head under the covers and whispered to Alice, My, weren't you scared? Alice whispered back that she was scared, but Ella was scareder. And Ella whispered that she wasn't either, any such thing. Well, anyway, you made more fuss about being thirsty, Alice whispered. They lay there whispering about it till Ma said, Charles, those children never will get to sleep unless you play for them. So Pa got his fiddle. The room was still and warm and full of firelight Ma's shadow and Aunt Eliza's and uncle Peter's were big and quivering on the walls in the flickering firelight and Pa's fiddle sang merrily to itself. It sang Monkey Musk and the Red Heifer The Devil's Dream and Arkansas Traveller and Laura went to sleep while Pa and the fiddle were both softly singing, My darling Nellie Gray, they've taken you away, and I'll never see my darling any more. In the morning, they all woke up, almost the same moment. They looked at their stockings, and something was in them. Santa Claus had been there. Alice and Ella and Laura in their red flannel nightgowns and Peter in his red flannel nightshirt all ran shouting to see what he had brought. In each stocking, there was a pair of bright red mittens, and there was a long, flat stick of red-and-white striped peppermint candy, all beautifully notched along each side. They were all so happy they could hardly speak at first. They just looked with shining eyes at those lovely Christmas presents. But Laura was happiest of all. Laura had a rag doll. She was a beautiful doll. She had a face of white cloth with black button eyes. A black pencil had made her eyebrows, and her cheeks and her mouth were red with the ink from pokeberries. Her hair was black yarn that had been knit and reveled so that it was curly. She had little red flannel stockings and little black cloth gaiters for shoes and her dress was pretty pink and blue calico. She was so beautiful that Laura could not say a word. She just held her tight and forgot everything else. She did not know that everyone was looking at her till Aunt Eliza said, Did you ever see such big eyes? The other girls were not jealous because Laura had mittens and candy and a doll because Laura was the littlest girl except baby Carrie and Aunt Eliza's little baby Dolly Varden. The babies were too small for dolls. They were so small they didn't even know about Santa Claus. They just put their fingers in their mouths and wiggled because of all the excitement. Laura sat down on the edge of the bed and held her doll. She loved her red mittens and she loved the candy but she loved her doll best of all. She named her Charlotte. Then they all looked at each other's mittens, tried on their own, and Peter bit a large piece out of his stick of candy. But Alice and Ella and Mary and Laura licked theirs to make it last longer. "'Well, well,' Uncle Peter said. "'Isn't there even one stocking with nothing but a switch in it? My, my, have you all been such good children?' but they didn't believe that Santa Claus could really have given any of them nothing but a switch. That happened to some children, but it couldn't happen to them. It was so hard to be good all the time, every day for a whole year. You mustn't tease the children, Peter, Aunt Eliza said. Ma said, Laura, aren't you going to let the other girls hold your doll? She meant little girls must not be so selfish. So Laura let Mary take the beautiful doll, and then Alice held her for a minute, and then Ella. They smoothed the pretty dress and admired the red flannel stockings and the gaiters and the curly woolen hair. But Laura was glad when at last Charlotte was safe in her arms again. Pa and Uncle Peter had each a pair of new warm mittens knit in little squares of red and white. Ma and Aunt Eliza had made them. Aunt Eliza had brought Ma A large red apple struck full of cloves. How good it smelled, and it would not spoil, for so many cloves would keep it round and sweet. Ma gave Aunt Eliza a little needle book she had made with bits of silk for covers and soft white flannel leaves into which to stick the needles. The flannel would keep the needles from rustling. They all admired Ma's beautiful bracket and Aunt Eliza said that Uncle Peter had made one for her, of course, with different carving. Santa Claus had not given them anything at all. Santa Claus did not give grown people presents, but that was not because they had not been good. Ma and Pa were good. It was because they were grown up, and grown people must give each other presents. Then all the presents must be laid away for a little while. Peter went out with Pa and Uncle Peter to do the chores, and Alice and Ella helped Aunt Eliza make the beds, and Laura and Mary set the table while Ma got breakfast. For breakfast, there were pancakes, and Ma made a pancake man for each one of the children. Ma called each one in turn to bring her plate, and each would stand by the stove and watch, while with a spoonful of batter, Ma put on the arms and the legs and the head. It was exciting to watch her turn the whole little man over quickly and carefully on a hot griddle. When it was done, she put it smoking hot on the plate. Peter ate the head off his man right away. But Alice and Ella and Mary and Laura ate theirs slowly in little bits, first the arms and the legs and then the middle, saving the head for the last. Today, the weather was so cold that they could not play outdoors, but they were the new mittens to admire and the candy to lick. And they all sat on the floor together and looked at the pictures in the Bible and the pictures of all kinds of animals and birds in Pa's big green book. Laura kept Charlotte in her arms the whole time. Then there was a Christmas dinner. Alice and Ella and Mary and Peter and Laura did not say a word at table, for they knew that children should be seen and not heard. But they did not need to ask for second helpings. Ma and Aunt Eliza kept their plates full and let them eat all the good things they could hold. Christmas comes but once a year, said Aunt Eliza. Dinner was early because Aunt Eliza, Uncle Peter, and the cousins had such a long way to go. Best the horses can do, Uncle Peter said. We'll hardly make it back home before dark. So as soon as they had eaten dinner, Uncle Peter and Pa went out to put the horses to the sled while Ma and Aunt Eliza wrapped up the cousins. They pulled heavy woolen stockings over the woolen stockings and the shoes they were already wearing. They put on mittens and coats and warm hoods and shawls and wrapped mufflers around their necks and thick woolen veils over their faces. Ma slipped piping hot potatoes into their pockets to keep their fingers warm, and Aunt Eliza's flat irons were hot on the stove, ready to put at their feet in the sled the blankets and the quilts, and the buffalo robes were warm too. So they all got into the big bobsled, cozy and warm, and Pa tucked the last robe well in around them. Goodbye, goodbye, they called, and off they went, the horses trotting gaily and the sleigh bells ringing. In just a little while, the merry sound of the bells was gone, and Christmas was over. But what a happy Christmas it had been.